Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Plus Four podcast, exploring the big wide world of Hickory Golf. I'm your host, Rob Berman. Episodes of this podcast reflect the personalities, the passion, and the pursuit of the game as it was played in the pre-1935 era across the world. Please subscribe and hit the like button to help us build our network of golfing fans coordinated in the United States through the Society of Hickory Golfers. And visit us online at plus4.org. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. You know, sometimes in life you meet a kindred spirit. Peter Grunwell, co-owner of Fine Golf Books in St. Andrews, to me is just this person. He, along with his wife, Anka Brooksmeyer, have been in the golf world for more than 55 years combined. Peter was a British PGA professional and a member of the USA Golf Collectors Society. Anka, a native of Germany, was a PGA professional as well for more than 25 years. Together, they're living the modern day dream. They live in St. Andrews. They collect antique, rare, and new golf books as well as memorabilia. They play golf in the epicenter of the Royal and Ancient Game and have unending opportunities to meet golfers and golf collectors nearly every day of their lives. Fine Golf Books does more than just sell books. They also deal in authenticated autographs. They support the independent publishing of important titles. They sell varying valuable works on paper and the occasional golf-related collectible. In this episode, I got to speak with Peter about his journey to building one of the leading sites for antiquarian and rare golf book buyers and his observations about the field, its avid collectors, and the variables that face book lovers, dealers, and publishers today. I'd be remiss if I didn't comment on how I was led to Peter in the first place. It was an episode of Connor T. Lewis's podcast, Talking Golf History, in which he and author Roger McStravick mentioned a particular book I was interested in, The Golfing Strath Family of St. Andrews. This is written by Dr. David Malcolm and Noel Terry, and we talk about it briefly in the podcast. That led me to find golf books and my connection with Peter. I highly recommend this book. As an added bonus, the author Roger McStravick happened to be at Peter's home when I arrived. Look for a future podcast with him about his forthcoming book on Alan Robertson. I hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you for tuning in. Peter, thank you so much for having me here in your home today. I'm so grateful to meet you and to talk about fine golf books today. Yeah, thank you, Robert, for coming and taking the time to visit me. I'm, I'm very happy to uh, welcome you into my house today. Well, thank you. It's what a pleasure to be in St. Andrews for the first time for me. First time. Wow. Yes. Oh, it's quite an experience. Yes. Uh, how do you find living here? It's been my lifelong dream to live in St. Andrews. Mm -hmm. I first came here in 1984. And I was lucky enough to watch Seve winning the 1984 Open and was in the grandstand mm. on the 17th hole with my father. Mm -hmm. I was 17 years old at the time. And since then, whenever it's been possible, I'm a golf professional from trade. I used to bring groups of golfers from Germany where I worked. Mm. And they always had to come to St. Andrews. Yes. <laughs> Any vacations we had, it was always St. Andrews. And then... Two, three years ago, we found ourselves in a position where we could actually come back mm -hmm. to St. Andrews, buy a property and play golf and, and do what I enjoy most, collecting golf books, being around people who play golf, talking golf. 
Right. It's, it's kind of living the dream, I guess. Absolutely. Now, are you British by birth? Yes, I'm English by birth. Okay, yes. English, yes. yes. Okay. What part of Germany were you in? I went to North Rhine-Westfalen, which is in the middle of Germany. Mm -hmm. uh, I lived in Dusseldorf mm -hmm. and was pro at two different golf clubs there, which was a great experience. I, I would never regret it. There were some great people. Some golf in Germany was and still is growing. Yes. So it was a good time to be there. I, I enjoyed my time, and I met my wife there as well, of course. So. Yes. But so Anchor is now happily golfing in, in St. Andrews okay. with me. Excellent. I used to go to Göttingen for a Handel festival every year, Okay. Uh, just south of Hanover. And that was always such a pleasure to do fully staged Handel operas in a period opera house. Wow, fantastic. It was pretty exciting. And I played with a PGA pro from Germany at the World Hickory Open last week. Yeah, I believe there's quite a few of the Germans and, and certainly Europeans, particularly Scandinavians. Yes. Are very hickory, hickory crazy. Absolutely. Yeah, right. same with uh, Switzerland. Yes. They're very, very big. So, Peter, uh, you wrote once that collecting allows you to relive childhood memories and to connect yourself to a period in history you find appealing. Really? I wrote that? You did. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, how did you and Anka get started with collecting and what motivates you most in this pursuit? So it's a good question. It just kind of happened. Mm -hmm. I, one of my early trips was to the West Coast, to Troon, where I met mm -hmm. a collector, mainly club dealer, Bob Pringle, from old Troon Sporting mm -hmm. Antiques. He convinced me to buy a few golf books, uh, which I've never really regretted. Yes. And it, I'm a collector. My my family, my mother's a collector, and I think it's it's almost a disease. Right. <laughs> once, once you start collecting, you you have to complete a set. You need the different editions, or if you have one, it has to be then in a better condition. Mm -hmm. And and I honestly believe by by collecting the literature, it certainly gives you something to talk about. And I think by talking about what you are reading, you are automatically learning the history and. And it, it creates a passion for, for the game. Yes. I've always believed a simple concept, mainly from my time running symphony orchestras, mm -hmm. which is that people don't know what they like. People like what they know. Yes. And I think the more I learned about opera as a student, the more I learned to love opera and Baroque music. But it's the same with golf history, I think. Yeah, I, I honestly believe the more... The more you read about it, the more you want to read about it. Right. And then you want to visit the venues that you read about. You want to learn about the players, the tournaments. Yes. And, and, and hence, one of the reasons I'm now sitting in St. Andrews. Right. Okay. Uh, in the epicenter of, <laughs> yes. of, of everything, really. Yeah, you're the, a fortunate man. If we're not in St. Andrews, we're an hour from, from the East Lothian coast, we're 40 minutes from Canusti. Right. Uh, we're an hour and a half from the West Coast, Presswick. Right. Uh, we have many, many people approach us with, with items they are wishing to dispose of. And, and really, we've never had to drive more than an hour mm. to actually view somebody's collection. It's quite amazing the, the amount of, of golf history within an hour's drive from St. Andrews. Yes. Um, how old is Fine Golf Books? It's quite an old company. It's actually over 25 mm. years old. It's been run on and off. Initially, I, I 
I started to sell books really to self-finance my hobby. Yes. It was almost, it, there was no intention of making money out of it. If I did make money, it would just go back into buying more golf books. Right. And that was probably more for my own private collection. Mm -hmm. Since we decided three, four years ago to make the decision to come to St. Andrews, we, we've thought of it more of a business, having run small businesses all our lives mm -hmm. in golf shops, and, and we ran a small hotel for quite a few years. It, it's something we, where we know what to do and feel comfortable running a small business, so right. we made it into a limited company mm -hmm. four years ago and kind of took it up a, a, a gear or two. We started looking for high-quality new publications mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that we feel fit to our company, architecture books, good, well-written history books, for example, from Roger McStravick, who you just earlier met, yes. who's, who's a great author, a friend of mine. We, we, we market his books, we hope reasonably successfully. And, and of course, being in St. Andrews, it's very easy for people to visit as we don't have to go to them. Mm -hmm. There are so many people literally coming coming to our doorstep. Yes, um, and it's it's just something we enjoy, and it, it never it's not a minute of doing this this job that actually feels like work. Right. Mm -hmm. I think I recently purchased the new book on the golfing strats. Yes. So that's another example, isn't it? Uh, yes, that that's a book that had been lying around that the late. David Malcolm, Dr. David Malcolm yes. and Noel Terry in Australia had co-written. Right. Unfortunately, Doc Malcolm passed away not long after he wrote his incredible book with Peter Crabtree, yes. Tom Morris and the Colossus of Golf. And the book had been lying around with the with the graphic designer Chick Harper. And he approached me basically with the idea to to get the book into life. Yes. And so we, we kind of went into partnership with the other author, Noel Terry, who is still alive in Australia, mm -hmm. in, was a member of Royal Melbourne. And the three of us brought the book to life. And it, we feel it's filled a niche. The Strath family don't get the recognition that the Morris family get. Sure. And it's a huge golfing family. They, they've done incredible things for for golf around the world, yes, literally yeah. around the world, yeah. and, and nobody really knows their story. Yeah. So we're quite happy now and quite proud that we were a very tiny part of, of bringing this story actually actually to life. Yeah, uh, so I'm excited to have it. it Thank you for supporting it. Yeah, we, we've, we've had good reviews of the book. Um, sales have, have been good initially. I think the book has a long shelf life. Mm -hmm. We didn't print a, an enormous amount. It's not. It, it's certainly not a project we're going to make sure. a, any money at. Right. At the moment, it's still running at a small loss. It, 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 it's a kind of a break-even project, and that's the way I look at a lot of these new productions. If we can get them off the ground and bring something to the golf world, that the golf world will hopefully appreciate, and yeah. it doesn't actually cost us money. Yeah, then it, it's I, I'm I'm very comfortable to do that. And, and at 25 years plus, this is part of your own legacy, which is very exciting to we, pass we, forward. You know, historical accurate information is something you must be very proud of. Yeah, I, I it's it's kind of nice to feel 
in in a like I said a very tiny tiny way that there is some little contribution coming from fine golf books. Right. We, we don't want to just be seen as selling golf books to to make money. Yes. Yeah. Which obviously is, is part of the business. It has to. We have expenses to pay. But it it is a it's a it's a hobby. It has its highlights. Yes, we do make one or two good sales. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, but on top of that, we meet so many incredible yeah. people. Um, yourself <laughs> included. <laughs> Total strangers become friends within minutes. Sure. Because we all share the same passion. That's we, beautiful. We can instantly run into a conversation. Uh, and right. feel equal. I I don't know what you do for a living, Robert. Right. And you don't. I've told you a little bit about what I do. But when we're talking golf, or when we hopefully have a game of golf sometime right. in the future, right? It doesn't really matter. Yes. You know, we we're all even. Yes, that is wonderful, isn't it? You know, it's such a great bringer of of people together of all walks of life. Yeah. And that's something I've always, always enjoyed in in being part of golf right. since since I was. A child. Mm. Peter, can you think of one book that really turned you on to this profession? Is there any one book that really sparked it for you? It's a good question. I wouldn't specifically like to say one book. One <laughs> of the first books I did buy, and it, it, I still believe it's one of the, the greatest books written, is the Reverend John Kerr's Golf Book of East Lothian. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's wonderfully produced. It's an incredible piece of research. Even now, after it was published in 1896 in two editions, only uh, a, an edition of 500 and one of 250, plus a few presentation copies, mm -hmm. it's, it's still a stunning book to, to, to put on a shelf, and not only just to put on a shelf, but to actually... It's, it's, yeah. it's a great read. Yeah. It's, so, it's so much information. Even if it is East Lothian and not St. Yes. Andrews, <laughs> yeah, it's still a great. It's um, a rich history. It, it's a great book. I, yeah. I I must say that that's right up there. Hmm. And then the modern books, probably Tom Morris and the Colossus of Golf, has got to be a, an incredible book that I think everybody should take the time to uh, try to acquire mm -hmm. and 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 enjoy from from Peter Crabtree and and Doug Malcolm. It's, it's, I think, uh, one of the modern day classics. And yes. But there's so many books in between there. It's, as soon as I pick a book up, I, I regret why. I sometimes think, why haven't I been looking at this book for yes. the last couple of years? <laughs> sure. And it, it, every time I, I it, it's just so much. And there are so many different subjects that, that, can, that are covered. And everybody has different interests, I guess. And, we, every golfer we meet, yourself, you're you're looking at early history. One of my last clients was everything on Bobby Jones. Right. The next one is club histories. Right. Or early autographs or autographs of signed books. It, it just goes on. Or architecture is always a very popular yes. subject. Yeah. It it's it's wonderful what what can what's out there. Yeah. Now you mentioned to me you're fifty six. Yes. Do you find time to read yourself as much as you'd like? It's, it's a very good question. I probably not know. Mm -hmm. I guess I'm I'm too occupied in trying to get my website looking good, mm. photographing. We are, we're a very small business. Yes. Um, yeah. My wife does most of the bookkeeping and advises me on, on, on a lot of things, but I have a pretty much a free hand in buying. Mm -hmm. But I also do 
the photography of the books, the description of the books, right. um, the website, maintenance, orders. It, it Basically, it's you, we can do as much or as little as we, yes. we want, but I love doing it, so it's... It, right. It takes probably too much time to give me the time I should have to read a lot of the books. Yeah. So one day, one day I will get round to. I I I, got, I know most of the books quite well. Like most of the subjects, I know quite well. Right. But to say I'm a specialist in one particular area, I wouldn't want to say because I have to have a knowledge. Yes. I think in in my my job of yeah of knowing about everything. My wife is a librarian and has worked worked and used in antiquarian bookstores her oh, whole life. Yes. And we have quite a number of books. And it's a fantasy for me to think one day, I do still have to work for a living, mm -hmm. but one day I may find time to sit and read one fiftieth of what we have. You know, we have a lot of books. Mm. And I don't know if I'll ever find that day where I can just sit quietly and be content and work on me. And I think one day that day will come. I uh -huh. hope you know we're I hope of a so similar too. age, and, <laughs> and I, I've certainly got plenty of books I I have on my list that I, yeah. I'd like to read. Um, so I I think one day we'll, yeah, let's we, hope. we will get to that point. <laughs> <laughs> now we all know collectors, and sometimes their pursuits can seem borderline obsessive. Uh, what to you represents some of the sane elements of your profession in terms of collecting books? And what might be examples, perhaps, of those more obsessive elements of what you do? What I do or what my clients do? Well, it could be either one. That's a very good spin. Yeah, I I think... Let's talk about your clients. Yeah, I think without mentioning any names, yeah. I think there's, there's certainly some collectors are obsessive about collecting every edition. Mm-hmm. Of every single publication, yes, and I suppose that's in any collecting world. If it's if it was fourteen editions of Horace Hutchinson's Golf Hints, then it, the collection mm. isn't finished until all fourteen editions are mm -hmm. collected. Mm -hmm. um, does that does that actually meaningfully increase the value of the collection? I don't think so. It wouldn't seem. I don't. To I, don't be. I don't think so. I think yeah. it's it's again it's 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 the pursuit. It's the pursuit. Yeah. And, 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 People enjoy that. Yeah. People enjoy it. It's it's searching for something. It's I I still have books on my my pursued list for my own personal yes. collection. I've been looking for for yes. thirty years. Right, and and luckily the list isn't too long at the moment. But sometimes I discover a new category of books, and or right. I, I I I get interested in something else, and then the list gets a little bit longer again. Yes, yes. And then I have to start collecting that aspect of golf. Are there clients to which price is no object? Certainly there must be. A few. Uh -huh. A few. I, I would say price is, is always important, but mm -hmm. less so, obviously, to some people than others. Yes, yeah. Uh, the internet has, has, has also made it, I think, how can I say, easier for collectors to, to find books. Mm -hmm. Also to find how common books are. Yes. If a book has isn't showing up on the internet and there are generally on, on various platforms literally thousands of booksellers if a book isn't showing up on some of these these platforms then you can pretty much presume it's scarce yes but the opposite applies as well when, when yes. i first started collecting quite a lot of books and i think other collectors believed 
but very rare. Right. Now they realize there's 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 hundreds but, of them out right, there. Sure. And of course then the price is 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 obviously the demand is, is not right. high for the book. It can be a great book. Yes. Uh, there's nothing against the author of the book and the quality of the book. Bernard Darwin is probably the best example yes. of, of this. He was incredibly popular at the time. He was the writer and he's still right. probably the highly, most highly respected author to date. But his books, because of the popularity, 80%, 90% of his books are actually quite easy to find. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas in the old days, the pre-internet days, Yes, his books were very, very valuable. Um, that that's kind of changed now. Right, right. a few of his books are still quite hard to yes. find. Yeah, but but it works both ways. Like I said, some books, when you start to realise a club history isn't being offered by thousands of booksellers, then you can presume it's quite a hard book to find. Yeah, and and so it it works the other way, and that that can again increase the price of the book if there is none of them out there yeah. and there's a demand for the book you're reminding me the first time i encountered pricing for books that blew me back was uh, a book on george thompson the architect mm -hmm. i think jeff shackelford was involved that's right he reprinted it and yeah. when i found that book i was taken oh. aback by the price both architecture in america yeah yes. and that's the first time i realized oh my word I'm not going to be able to acquire and read everything I want. And I was able to get it through an inner library loan, mm -hmm. uh, which was enough because, frankly, it's not really my main interest. Mm. But uh, that was my first encounter with sometimes supply price. and demand and price. Yeah, Price of the book. Architecture books are generally... They, they, there's, like you said, it's demand as well. And, and yeah. the golf architecture books, probably out of all the categories that that are collected is probably the most popular mm -hmm. so again demand is higher of course the prices yes. stay high yeah excellent in what ways does assembling a golf book collection resemble that of say a golf club collection or other some such archive are there similarities in terms of scope and scale and the pursuit of collecting i i would imagine i i'm not a club collector myself Obviously, I know about the makers of the clubs, mm -hmm. and I would presume putting a collection together would be very similar. You you have more popular club makers, scarce club makers. The condition of the clubs mm -hmm. would reflect, mm -hmm. I guess, the same as the condition of a book right. would collect. And, yeah. and again, I'm, I'm presuming club collectors have their own favorite clubs yes. yeah. from certain areas or by certain makers, just as a book collector has a favorite author or a favorite subject. Mm -hmm. So I would guess, I guess the whole collecting world, if if the mentality is there. Is united. Is, yeah. is united. And you deal also in autographs, don't you, and works on paper? Yes, yes, we uh, do. Uh, artwork. Some art, it's not, not really our strong area. Mm -hmm. I, I collect art, but I haven't actively really tried to sell much art. But we do, I spend a lot of time studying autographs. Yes. And graphology and the study of handwriting. Because I, I really believe to get, obviously, an authentic signature or a sample of handwriting 
that's the the key to have the provenance right for the as certain as one can be that it's original if you haven't actually seen that person right signing it right there isn't a hundred percent guarantee to anything unless that person signed the the piece of paper in front of you but with comparing as many examples as possible and studying handwriting i think you can pretty much tell mm -hmm. a original autograph or sample of handwriting peter can a savvy book buyer presume values will stay level or rise in three to five years time that's a good question, Robert. I think I think sort of revolving back to the comments I made about how common books are and how internet has changed the the availability of books, I think the scarce books, the high quality books, good autographs, what we just talked about, mm -hmm. the demand for a savvy collector, I see prices have, have steadily increased for high quality items. Right. I think the the middle and the low end of the market is a great market for there's a lot of books that offer very good value, but I don't honestly think that the middle market will particularly increase in value. Right. I think they're books that certainly can help a collector and, and learn mm. about whatever subjects interest them. But from a point of trying to buy books to invest, then I would always recommend probably buying the best copies of yes, books. Sure. You can with dust jackets if, if it's available with a dust jacket. Mm -hmm. Obviously signed if possible and an authentic signature, of course. Mm -hmm. Those sort of quality books are those are the ones that I find easiest to sell. Yeah. Also because there's always there's always a demand for, for quality. Yeah. Is it a misconception sometimes that the total collection is worth more than the parts? Because I would imagine it's hard to move a complete collection. It is, and it needs to be marketed, I think, or, or probably discounted to a, a certain price. Right. It's a, it's a good question. You, there are a limited number of buyers, I think, that would be prepared to take on a whole collection because it's very unlikely the whole collection would fit to the next owner's yes interest. owner's interest want yeah. to one hundred percent. So they're yeah. gonna if they acquire a collection and and then with the attitude of keeping sixty, seventy percent of it mm -hmm. and possibly disposing of some items that are not of right. interest to refinance what they've already paid. Right. It's quite a project to take on. But it, it if if the price is right to buy a whole collection, it, it's certainly something people shouldn't turn away from. But they're probably inviting quite a quite a bit of work as well. Yeah. I would say to how to, would somebody go about deaccessioning a, a collection? Are there outlets to do that? It's a good question. It, I, I get approached almost every day with people for one reason or another wanting to dispose of of a collection. Mm -hmm. Could be a widow. It could, it's often a widow yeah. whose husband has has right. collected and and has a, a fortune. Yes. Of, of golf books and I'm unfortunately sometimes the one who has to bring the bag news that the collection really is is, is a lot of those books we've been talking about yes. yeah it's there's, the same in the golf club world exactly the same there's a lot of middle of the road and and, and I unfortunately have to turn a, a lot of a lot of those collections away mm -hmm. from one because I don't I can't sell so many books and I just don't have the space yes. to keep them sure. as well yeah um, 
for somebody to actually dispose of a whole collection, probably the easiest way would be just to take it to an auction house. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. To take it to an auction house. Or if, and this is what I've done on, on several occasions now, just to really let somebody you trust go through a collection and pick out the highlights. Most collections have some very high quality books in there, mm-hmm. which probably in value, it can be 10% of the books make up 90% of the value of yes, the collection. Right. So from that perspective, if somebody is picking the right books out and specifically marketing those or buying just those, you can recoup your the, investment. You've got yeah. a good chance to recoup, but again, it's somebody you probably need to, yeah. to trust or, yes. or maybe get a second opinion of it just to be safe that that person right. buying isn't you know, just telling the seller all the books are worth nothing sure, it's, it's sure. not a it's certainly something we won't do because it's a very it's a very short-term attitude yeah to run a business if, if if that's that's how somebody goes about it now when you started was visiting estate sales and things like that was before you know you're you're 25 26 years old now in the business yes i imagine you're not going to i forget the british term uh, boot sales. No, there's there's not a lot out there really. I mean, in the old days, before I think we all got more educated with the internet, uh, occasionally it would be it would be a fun day out to go sure. to a car boot sale <laughs> or or to have a drive around to. In the days when there was every town had two or three you know used bookshops. Yes, it was it was fun, but not overly productive. Right. Uh, now it it's. It's less and less. It's again. There's there's auctions all over the country, and there are mm-hmm. there are systems where I can sit at my computer here in St Andrews and and buy comfortably anywhere almost in the world. Yes. Yeah. And and do it without leaving, and it it's just more cost effective. Yeah. Basically. Now I imagine you have customers that uh, you know their interests. You yes. must keep index cards or files. Oh, yes, we have a few one. Your one best list. customers. Yes. And um, does the same apply to you? Are there people in the world looking out for you in terms of opportunities? And they signal you, here's something. Yes, you, yeah, yeah. There's, there's, I have a few a few contacts that generally, if if they hear of any any golf books right. or anything related, they'll, they'll contact me. Often, often dealers that are specializing in in. I'd say cricket or football, mm. in something where they sometimes get offered something that is not of interest to yes. them, or they don't have the the clients to right. to sell to, and and we get we get quite a few calls, and and, yeah. and generally a few friends are always on the lookout, or if somebody sees something and they don't want it themselves, they'll they'll kindly sometimes mm. drop me a line and, and let me know that something's out there. Yes. Has there been a time or a day in your career where you're able to deliver something somebody's always wanted? That must be such a good feeling. It is when when you know you've found a great item and it's gone to the the right home or right. to somebody who is is really appreciating yeah. it. It it happens occasionally. We do have want lists and I know sometimes how scarce some of these items are that clients want and and it is kind of nice when you can acquire something yeah. for them, and it it is it's very satisfying. And it's it's equally satisfying. We've been well supported from from the USGA and from various mm-hmm. museums mm-hmm. here in St Andrews, of course, as well. And and it, it it's kind of nice, or even a golf club, 
we even sold a couple of years ago to Canusti Golf Club some mm. early mm. early books that, that the club didn't have right. relating to their, their first and right. second opens. And it's, wow. it, it's kind of very nice when you know an item is going back to where yes. it should be. Yeah. Well, it leads me to my next question, which is we're really just stewards of these items. Of course. We really yeah. don't own no, anything, no, nothing. do we? No. And is it reasonable to think 500 years from now, most of the books in this room will be in existence? I mean, the paper is fairly stable, isn't it? I think so. I'm not a paper expert in the respect of what it would be in 500 years, mm -hmm. but I'd like to think most of, again, going back to the same, the better quality items will yeah. be preserved in some way, either in private collections or more and more through various bodies, of mm -hmm. universities, national museums, always interested in acquiring gaps to their collection. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very important that they do. And and, and it, I think a lot of the, a lot of the items will still be around. Yes, I'm familiar with the concept of foxing on artwork mm -hmm. and works on paper. Doesn't yes. seem to be a big problem with books. What what are the main problems with conditions of books? Foxing is is a is a condition to some of the early books if they've been kept in a in a damp mm -hmm. damp area for too long. Bigger books suffer from being taken care, carelessly off shelves, just being pulled off, and the fact that the book is heavy right. often damages the top of the spine. Dust jackets often get discarded. Mm -hmm. Basically, a dust jacket is just like the name says. It was just something to keep them yeah, to I, protect the book, and people throw them away. I hate them on modern books. I don't want to read a book with a dust jacket. So I I set them aside, and then they get separated. Yeah, and your modern book in a hundred years is something that somebody will, <laughs> will be will be regretting uh, that yeah. that missing dust jacket. Yeah. It, it's so 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 the true collectors like to collect a. The, the first edition or the, the best example of how the book was published. Mm -hmm. So some good dust jackets are, are often discussed, so they're quite quite challenging to find. Yes. Golf book jackets don't seem to get the same recognition as some other collecting fields, P.G. Woodhouse or right. Ian Fleming, James Bond books. Right. First editions with dust jackets, they, they the golf books... Don't don't seem to have that sort of collecting, mm -hmm. or the golf collectors who collect them don't have that higher regard. Maybe, but but a, a jacket is certainly nice. Other other books that get damaged are obviously the smaller paperback sort of books, which is many of the mm -hmm. early books were mm -hmm. cheaply produced right. and very small, and, and quite often those are the sort of books that become very hard to find because they're books that people don't keep right it doesn't look very impressive it's only got 30 or 40 pages yes it's maybe stuck between another couple of books and every time somebody's having a clear out it's not the the big book with the leather right with the leather spine that gets thrown out it's the little yes the little paper books right and, and those are often just by default that they are so scarce yes right the valuable books wow I knew a collector that had three copies of the golf. Mm -hmm. Does that seem obscene to you? You have to give me his number. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a man we spoke about earlier who's no longer with us. Okay, I know who you mean. Um, um, but 
I was amazed to hear. I don't know how many copies there are in the world. It's something I'm working on now, trying to figure out approximate numbers of early books. It's it's a project I'm trying to. But maybe a dozen to, or so. I would imagine certainly not more than twenty. Yeah. And certainly the first two editions, the third edition is the one that from 1793 that seems to come up more first and the second editions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A really challenging. It's it's on. A few of my clients' want lists is, is the book in any edition mm-hmm. because it was the first sure. yeah. golf book ever specifically to golf uh, published. Right. It's really a poem, isn't it? it? It's just a short poem. Yeah. It's yeah. based around St. Andrews. It, it did get expanded yeah. in the in the third edition. So it, it's quite a prize. It, it's certainly quite a prize for any book collector to own. I just wondered uh, if that's obscene. The three editions is quite <laughs> impressive, yes. He's... He's done well to acquire those. It, it is a challenging book to find, and and probably most of those books now are in in in, in museums. Yes, yeah. So the chance of actually one coming to to the market becomes less and less. Yeah. As I mentioned to you earlier before we recorded, when I saw this private collection, which was millions of dollars worth of items, I was sad to learn from the acquirer that he was going to leave all of it to his kids to figure out. And there was no plan to keep the collection together. And that made me sad. But then I realized through time, these items will come back on the market. They'll come back on the market. And if they're, if depending on the person's collections, children, um, how they wish to bring it to the market, it, it, it's not overly responsible from the person who's collected it just to disassociate himself and and give it to their children without a a plan or a concept. Everybody's different. We have enough challenges making our own decisions sometimes and making decisions for other people. It it wouldn't be my recommendation for anybody who's who's thinking of disposing of a large collection just to... Leave it to the children. I was astonished and saddened when I heard that because I I want to put myself in his shoes. He spent a lifetime putting together a priceless collection, but he didn't have a plan. And I can't, like you said, I can't make decisions for him. But I left there very sad because he spent, I don't know, 60 years putting this collection together. Yeah, it is a shame when, when a collection does have to be broken up. Yeah. A lifetime's work, but then basically. again, I suppose it benefits three hundred other people in some way. Their collection it, gets it, it a slightly larger. All, the only other way that it there are collections all all around, in particularly I think in America, mm-hmm. of of people who have donated their collections yes. to the PGA, to the USGA, right. to specific golf clubs, the LA eighty four. Right. Yes, has a, a large library in in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and hopefully one day I'll visit. They've been created through donations, right? So, so, but, but again, that's maybe not what an individual wants: is to give his life's work away. It's maybe not right. financially the right, right, the right solution just to donate it. Yes, but it's probably the best way to to keep a collection together. Sure, if the person thinks about it in that respect of keeping it together. 
if somebody's relatively new to this kind of a pursuit, what are good places to start collecting golf books? Are there gatherings and golf heritage society meetings and things like that for there are certain there is there's a, a British golf collector society mm-hmm. and a golf heritage or collector society in the United States mm-hmm. and a little bit like early, I think just meeting any other collectors and that's obviously a great place to do it and to mm-hmm. To pick their brains and to, to ask questions about how to go about it. Again, the internet is, is very useful. I would certainly recommend any new collector giving it some thought before they actually start spending any money mm-hmm. of what they actually want to collect. Roughly, they, they, their, their collection will evolve. But to, to begin with, to find out what's out there, if you're a book collector, you really need to know the titles that have been published. And there are there are two or three good bibliographies that I think should be on everybody's shelves. Yes. Um, mainly started by the founder of the Golf Collector Society, Joel Murdoch and Bob Kuntz. He, Joel Murdoch, was a book collector, and he published a book I think in 1968, a bibliography that got updated in 1988 with the help of Dick Donovan, a book dealer that again got updated. Mm-hmm with the help of Rand Jerris from the USGA and Dick Donovan in 2005. That's the most recent mm-hmm. paper bibliography. Well, uh, it, it leads me to my next question, which I don't think I would ask anybody else in the world. Can a bibliography be sexy? <laughs> for a collector, I guess it is. Uh-huh. <laughs> I guess it is. Um, How about for you? It's a very useful reference uh-huh. for us. Yeah, it's <laughs> it, it, in some ways it 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 does guide you to publications that you would never mm, right. never otherwise look for, and a bibliography is always growing, I guess, and there's always new additions to it. Um, yeah. So we're hopeful that one day the the latest bibliography will get updated. Right. Um, it, it's a great reference. It's a great reference, and anybody collecting seriously, and whether it's it's a specific subject or a, a certain author, they really need to know what what what's out there. Yes. To to, to actually make their wants lists and to go out right. and, and build a, a a collection that actually makes sense. Mm-hmm. Also, didn't Alistair Johnston contribute to significant bibliographies? He he did yes he mm-hmm. he's uh, he's he's always he's been very very helpful in in his golf collecting life he's contributed to he's he's a very helpful individual mm-hmm. who's who's a, a very fanatical collector and he has freely published his own collection lists hasn't he, he? Ha- not freely published okay. he 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 updates it every year. Uh-huh. And sends it to certain I see. certain individuals. I see. It's, it's it's in itself quite a collector's item. Yes, I and see. Four or five different issues behind mm-hmm. me, and it, it, it's it's a collection that is evolving every day. Mm-hmm. Oyster is always looking for new additions. Yeah. So it's 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 not far off a a complete bibliography in in its own right. Right. But obviously, Alistair has once less of items that he, he hasn't found yet so mm-hmm. that we know exist mm-hmm. that that doesn't qualify his collection to be the complete bibliography yes. but yeah. but it's it's probably the most complete collection yeah. it's exciting it is it's a, he's he's put quite a life's work together this may be a strange question but how do you and your wife handle risk management uh, so you have 
a collection that you're willing to sell, and all of us have limited time, how do you two manage that balance? When is there a time, do you think, in the future when the, you have diminishing returns and it might behoove you to stop acquiring and only focus on selling? I think there's probably a, a more a chance it would go in the other direction. Mm -hmm. Stop selling and start acquiring. Uh, it's hard to imagine not collecting. The, the selling of the books is enjoyable, mm -hmm. but I'm probably a collector at heart. Yeah. So. But may may I ask? Without I'm I'm not yeah, trying to sure. pry. But what happens with both of you? Do you have plans for this incredible collection you've amassed? The collection's now quite quite manageable, and there isn't a, a, a great volume to my collection. Mm -hmm. I, I used to have a very large collection, and we had to move overseas for work, and, and that became impossible to take with us. Yes. So, so we, we disposed of one large collection. Now, it, it's starting to grow again since we've been in St. Andrews, mm -hmm. I must admit. We haven't, being 56 years old, haven't made plans yet. Yeah. I, I haven't either. What, what we will be doing with it, and, and there's two of us, so I think if, if something happened to one of us, there's still the other one there. Sure. So then things would probably start to change. And change. I'm sure you have a very broad customer base, and there would be interest in supporting the other if something, God forbid, were to happen. I, I would hope so. We, I'm we, sure. We, we certainly have a few items that are on a, on a few want lists of yeah. some of our clients, yeah. uh, so that would that would help. And and our collection is not vast, so it wouldn't mm -hmm. be a, a, a huge, a a huge task, I don't yeah. think. When chasing something rare or costly, do you have to simply believe that one day the buyer for that item will surface? Yes, definitely. And strangely enough, the the items that I initially always feel we've paid too much for, mm. that we've chased, generally always the items that are <laughs> the easiest to sell. Uh-huh, interesting. Going back to the quality items, and it, it's sometimes difficult to convince yourself to go that extra mile yes. to acquire something, but, but generally those are the items that that are, are, are worth buying and, and make the business worthwhile. Yeah, stretching, interesting. And uh, are you a frequent uh, participant at auctions? From my computer these days, mm -hmm. yes. Mm -hmm. I used to visit auctions, but since the pandemic, yeah, everything happens in front of my laptop. But yes, yeah. I follow. It's it's part of our our work to yes to follow and, and to source items. And, and yes, auctions are a great source of 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 um, items that we can procure for for either our own collection or or, or to sell. Yeah, both. I've had a few rare occasions where I found a club that was actually valuable to me, but mm. was mislabeled in an auction, like a cane yes. auction, yeah, for instance. Sure. Does that happen to you occasionally? Without a doubt, books get mixed up with other books, and, and there might be just, or a, a collection has one or two gems in there, mm. and you always live in the hope that yes. you're the only person that <laughs> yeah. that noticed it but, yeah but again with the internet these days and, <laughs> and and digital images it's it's sometimes your hope is very short-lived once the once the auctioneer starts starts um, starts taking the bids 
And if you were interested in an item, is the frontispiece important to look at before you bid? Yeah, as, as much details as possible, particularly mm -hmm. if you're going to be spending a reasonable amount of money on an item, then it's, it's, it's definitely worth trying to inquire and, and then more often than not, a series of telephone calls and, and email exchanges will yes, happen just yeah. to make sure you... Yeah. And it can often be the case that what what one first thought was going to be a great item turns out to have a plate missing or yes. is, is, has yes. been rebound or is mm. not a first edition as described. Right. And then obviously it's the excitement sure. is quickly lost. <laughs> sure. Does everything have a price? In other words, are there items you can't imagine selling, but for the right number you would? That's a very good question. I, I guess the world over, everything does have a price. Mm -hmm. Quite a few of my items I know are quite valuable. I, I wouldn't even inform some people about. Yes. Just because I don't want to go into that conversation yes. of having to disappoint a, a good client mm -hmm. of telling them that I have a great item, but I'm not going to sell it to right. them. That, that doesn't really work, I don't think. Right. So. But I guess most items would would have a a price, right? But it, in 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 a few occasions, it would have to be a, a very good price. I think at this stage in my mm -hmm. collecting career. I wonder, Peter. Though, is there is there enough satisfaction to having owned and stewarded it once, or is it really important to you for those precious items that, for the rest of your life, you have the privilege of picking up that item anytime you wish. There is a certain satisfaction, I think, and enjoyment out of owning something very special. Yeah. Without a doubt. And I think that's why everybody collects for those yes. yeah. those special items. Uh, some items are less favorites than, than other items. Yeah. Right. And there's certain items you, you do get a lot of pleasure out of. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. What's happening this these days with shipping? Is this hurting your business at all? Very good question. <laughs> it 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 doesn't help. No, mm -hmm. it's it's a cost of living. It's it's mm -hmm. it, it's the war in Ukraine, I guess. It's prices related to fuel. Yes, and and prices have gone up very highly. Yes, in shipping, we we try to keep our shipping costs reasonable and and absorb some of that in the price of the book. Mm -hmm. I think it's psychologically for any any client good. If they don't feel they're spending a lot of money on shipping, yeah, and it, you know we can calculate maybe ten pounds or something into the price of the book mm -hmm. rather than in the price of shipping, and we've had to think about that more. And it it, it is a an issue certainly that doesn't help. Yeah, it's, without a doubt, it's become a disincentive for me in purchasing clubs. Because often imagine. the shipping is more than the value of the club. Yeah, if, it, if it's a hundred dollar item and shipping's a yeah. hundred dollars, then it, it doesn't yeah. doesn't become interesting anymore. Yeah, I agree. And uh, has the market changed a lot in recent years? And is there an area in the world that the market is strongest? Good question. United States of America hmm. is is without a doubt the strongest area of our our customers. Hmm. The interest in, in golf memorabilia, and I don't believe it's just books, no doubt in clubs, right. in, in, in balls, in autographs, photographs, 
it seems to be America that is hmm. is very very interested in in their own history, of course, but in in the British history and Scottish history, right. is is equally is is equally sought after. Hmm. And, just two more questions. Mm, yeah. What institutions, apart now from the RNA, boast some of the best golf book collections in the world? You mentioned LA. Yeah, I think the the institutions with the, the largest collections is certainly the LA 84 is a good collection. The PG of America had a very good collection that was donated from a Otto Probst down in Florida. That didn't kind of work out. I'm not sure of the the details, but that has now been kindly donated to the or on loan to the United States Golf Association, mm -hmm. who have I think, at least to my knowledge, the the largest golf book collection mm. in the United States. And do you, are you familiar with how that works? Is it just a reference library, or can one actually take a book away? You know? It's a good question. They're very, very helpful. If you have any any questions and you talk to the librarian, they will do their best to copy information. I'm mm. not sure if they're crazy about you actually taking yes, books. Yes, I can imagine. They're very, very welcoming to people visiting. Yeah, and, and right, as a reference they'll, they'll, library. They'll, they'll yeah. find any book that they hold yes. and, and let you view it and, right. and take necessary copies of mm -hmm. it or anything. Mm -hmm. And they're still very active in... in adding to their their collection mm -hmm. so I, I would probably think they are the, the largest and, and they're, they're doing a good job for, for the history of golf excellent and peter how can listeners contact you and look at your own available inventory that's a good question we're 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 always available we have a website www.finegolfbooks.com um there's there's email most of our stock not all of our stock is listed, mm -hmm. but most of it, there's a very easy search engine on our website, so there's various ways to find what, what you might be looking for. But by all means, if you don't find it, please don't think we don't have it. Mm. There's a good chance we do. Uh, so, so either give us a call or, or send us an email and we'll, we'll happily do our best to find whatever books or, or anything we can, we'll, we'll try to be as helpful as possible. Well, thank you again so much for your time. What a pleasure to talk it's to you today. It's been a pleasure to meet you today, Robert. Thank you. <laughs>